Now we have uh, we've been working our way through Luke chapter eight over the last several weeks, and if you have uh, your your Bibles open and you were to look through the subheadings that we've been through, there are four events in Luke eight right here at the end that that deserve their own sermon. We have Jesus calming the storm. We've got Jesus casting out a legion of demons. And graciously, I let Cheryl stop reading there. But we could continue on to Jesus healing the woman with the bleeding disorder and Jesus raising Jairus' daughter from the dead. Now, each one of these events deserves its own sermon. I bet you I could take these four events and easily turn it into six sermons. Okay, you guys know how I am. I think I, I could have pulled that off. All right, but because uh, I think these are such familiar stories to us, I'm going to, to do something that I don't do very often. And so if you're a guest with us today, uh, thank you for being here. This is not the way I normally do this, okay? But I am going to assume that most of you know these four stories, okay? Now, if you've been in Sunday school for a while, you know that these are ones that come up all the time. So uh, rather than have uh, our, our scripture reading read all four stories, I had to stop at two, and I'm going to assume some basic knowledge of these four events. Now, we already read about the calming of the storm and Jesus casting out the legion of demons, but we will still reference the rest of the passage. So what, what I think would be helpful to you guys today is, listen, when I come, I used to bring my Bible to church every time, but now I've got that handy-dandy app, so I've got my Bible in my pocket. The problem with the app, and I love the app, I use it all the time, is you only get like that much of the passage in your field of vision. So I'm just going to ask, not require, nobody's going to be looking over your shoulder to check. If you're using your phone, I would suggest today, go ahead and grab the pew Bible out and turn to Luke 8. There's something to being able to see everywhere we're going to be. And that your eyes just have to move from here to there, and you can begin to see the full picture of how these four events work together. Now, verse 22 of our passage might fool you. Verse 22 tells us that we have a change of location, a change of direction. And this is usually an indicator that Luke is going to teach us a little bit of a different theme here. So let's go ahead and look just real quick at verse 22. It says, One day he got into a boat with his disciples and said to them, Let us go across to the other side of the lake. So they set out. Now, what that should say to us is, All right, new setting, new theme. However, however, this is not the case here. Instead, it's almost like the Holy Spirit inspired Luke to illustrate what Jesus had just taught through the parable of the sower. So we've been in the parable of the sower now for, for two weeks, really. And I think something happens here that we often miss. And man, I got to tell you, I have never been so frustrated with those little subheadings in my life than in the book of Luke. Because if they weren't there, I think we would see these connections a little more clearly. So just as a refresher... Uh, those little subheadings are not inspired by the Word of God. Those were added by editors recently. 
Like you probably could meet the guy who put the subheadings in there, okay? So this is a this is a new thing. They're not, they don't belong there. Today I hope to show you that all four of these events are, the, are thematically connected. And what I hope we see, what I hope I can show you is how they are a theological extension of the point of the parable of the sower. So last week we looked at, if you'll remember, right? I don't expect you guys to remember. But last week we looked at four ways to make sure that we hear God's word. Four ways to make sure that we take care to hear God's word. This came out of uh, chapter 8, verse 18. And we looked at this verse right here which says, Take care then how you hear. For the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he thinks he has will be taken away. Now, I grabbed on to that first part of this verse last week, and we looked at what it means to take care how we hear. And as we unpacked the whole context of Luke chapter 8, we saw that to hear and to understand the Word of God, we looked at four things. We need to believe it. We need to listen to it closely. We need to obey it. And finally, we talked about how we need to share it. But what I didn't do last week was spend a lot of time unpacking the second half of that verse. Now, I did address it, okay? But I think we see the rest of Luke 8 really give us eyes to see and ears to hear what the last half of verse 18 means. To the one who has, more will be given. To the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Now, keep that in mind as we move forward. We're going to change directions a bit. As I was working through this passage, my mind went to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18, Paul says, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved... It is the power of God. Now, Paul draws out a clear dichotomy between those who believe and those who don't. If if we believe, if we listen closely, if we obey, then the word of God reveals the power of God. Okay? But, To those who don't believe, to those who don't believe, the word of God is not the power to save. It is not the power to save. And that's what we're going to see as we work through these four events in the last half of Luke chapter 8. For those who believe... The power of Jesus saves and brings comfort and security. If you believe in Jesus, if you put your faith in him, then his power saves. It brings comfort, it brings peace, and it brings security. But if you don't believe, it's terrifying. The power 
of Christ is terrifying if you don't believe. So church, this is the point of today's message. So if you're taking notes, this is what I want you guys to write down, okay? God's power is real. And God's power is comfort to those who believe. And God's power is terrifying to those who don't. Now last week, as we looked at what it means to hear the word of God, one of the points we looked at was that if we're really listening, we would obey. If we're really listening, we would obey. I spent some time explaining that that perfect obedience will come in glory uh, in, in the next age, when this age is over, when we're in heaven. But nonetheless, I tried to show how obedience is clearly tied to faith. If we believe it, then we obey it. Then we looked at how uh, we looked at, at who uh, Jesus identified as his family. We just touched on this for a minute, but if we look at that little passage between the explanation of the parable of the sower and the, uh, the, the, the story of the, the calming of the seas, we have this little event with Jesus and his family. And in Luke 21, Jesus clarifies that his family are those who hear the word of God and do it. So who's his family? Those who hear the word of God and do it. Now, then we have this change where now he's on a boat. But I, I want you to see how this all works together, okay? Now, now much could be said uh, about the fear of the disciples. I mean, after all, several of them were fishermen. They, they like, spent most of their life on this lake, right? But what we need to see is that when they were out on this lake, they were afraid, This storm was like none they'd ever seen. They were terrified they were going to die. And they go to Jesus, not in some cool, like, hey, Jesus, how's it going? Like, they're panicked. They freak out. And they go to Jesus. And then what does Jesus say to them? He says, where is your faith? Where is your faith? Now, I think there are, are two questions wrapped up in that one question. I think first, Jesus was asking, do you believe that I have the power to take care of this situation? Do you believe that I have the power to take care of this situation? And second, do you believe this power will work for your good? Do you believe this power will work for your good? Now, the rest of these four events are going to work through these questions. Okay, And the key to unlocking the point of this passage comes from the disciples' response to Jesus calming the storm. And what do they say? They say, who then is this that he commands even the winds and water and they obey him? Now, we've been talking about the link to hearing the word of God and obedience. If we hear the word of God, truly listening with belief, then we, what? We obey. I wasn't sure, I'm going to take a step out of my notes here for a second. This particular passage, like, worked on me all week. And so, I, I normally like to preach 
and nice, like, three-point sermon that's like, okay, you know, oh, we can unpack this, and this is A and B and C, and okay, great. And then we've got this nice little thing of three ways to do whatever. You know, like, it's great. It's easy to understand. I, I love teaching that way. As I came to this passage this week, like, I felt like there was something bigger here that we needed to understand. And it just didn't feel like one of my normal sermons that I write. So this one feels really weird to me. And it's, it's going to feel kind of spiderwebby, and I hate preaching that way. So what I need you guys to do is, like, buckle in, okay? Because we're going to be everywhere, and I hope, I hope that we can kind of draw it back. And in the end, you'll go... Oh, that's why he preached so weird, okay? All right, so I I want you to think about this for a second. They say, even the wind and the water obey him. And we've been talking about the link link between faith and obedience. And we transition, Jesus says, who's my brothers and sisters? Who's my mother? Who's my family? Those who hear the word and do it. And then what do we get? We get a scene where the disciples are terrified They're not sure what this power is for that Jesus has. They're they're unsure about it. They're learning. They're growing in their faith. Jesus says, where is your faith? Now, remember, there's a link between faith and obedience. He says to the disciples, where is your faith? And then the disciples say, who is this guy? Even the wind and the water do what, church? Obey him. Why do they obey him? Because they have to. They obey him because they have to. In his power, in his authority, in his word, he speaks it, and what? They obey. What I want you to understand is when Jesus makes a command... He has the power to compel to obey. Does that scare anybody else but me? Like, I was thinking about this. Like, I am not a hellfire and brimstone preacher. You guys know that, right? Like, we've been together for a while. I'm not the kind of guy who's going to go around and say, you're going to burn, you know? But, like, when I'm thinking about this, and I'm thinking about the power of Jesus, he can compel To obey. That is scary. Okay, but it's just the weather. It's just the weather. Okay. But what do we see throughout the other events of this passage? We see that that Jesus compels demons to leave. And they do. Jesus compels illness to leave and a death. But just in case you weren't sure, he compels a little girl to come back to life and she does. That's pretty powerful. Now, I just, in my brain this week, this thing that I was like, just, I don't know what to do with this. Like, it's not a pretty teaching point you can just, like, articulate. I just saw this connection. We've been talking about faith. We've been talking about if we really believe the word. If we really believe it, then we obey. 
And then in the rest of the passage, we see Jesus compels obedience. And here's the thing. And here's where I want to go with this for the rest of the day. And I hope how how we begin to see this unpack. Is that that power is immense. And that power brings comfort for those who believe. And it's terrifying for those who don't. Okay, so I talked to my family about whether or not to put this illustration into the message. I took it out of my notes, but it goes right here, okay? And so it's a little creepy, but I need you to bear with me because I think it'll make sense, okay? But it's a little creepy. So uh, Elise and I have had four children, and if you have had a child, I believe, at Cox Hospital, before you leave, they make you watch videos so you learn just how easy it is to kill your children. I mean, you all know what I'm talking about, right? Like, you, yeah, I see some amens. So, and these are like really creepy videos. Don't shake a baby. Call a friend, you know. All right, make sure you buckle them in because they'll go flying through the windshield, right? Like, they're telling you, like, it's really easy to kill your kid, okay? And, and so what's interesting is, what's interesting is, as a mother and father, we're ten times the size of our baby. Ten times the size, We have the power to destroy our children. Like I said, a little creepy. Like this analogy is a little creepy, right? Okay. We have the power to destroy our children. But think about it for a second. If we didn't have that power, could we care for them? Could we provide for them? Could we give them what they need? Would we be able to assess their tears and know, oh, this is... That kid's just mad. They're fine, you know. Oh, you know, this is a hurt cry, or this is a hungry cry. Oh, that's a dirty diaper cry. Like, we are bigger, stronger, more powerful, able. The same power that can destroy that little kid is required for the care of that little kid. Without it, without it, our kid would be helpless. Instead, instead, our children look to that power for comfort. Baby is crying. Baby is sad. Mom comes into the room, and all of a sudden, baby is fine. Those arms reach in, pick that little baby up, hold it close, and the tears sometimes stop. Right? Like, there is comfort that is had in that power. But I want you just to think about this for a second. This is kind of bizarre, and I'm going crazy for a second. But just imagine being that baby, and this thing, ten times their size, with these long arms reaches down into the crib with ten long fingers coming at you. I mean, like, that's truly a terrifying sight. Just put yourself in that situation. And then this thing that's ten times, like, ah! Right? Okay, so the thing, the thing that could potentially be terrifying brings comfort for those who believe it's there for their good. Now that's how we're going to walk through and unpack the rest of the passage. I hope that worked. Maybe my kids were right and we should not have gone that direction. <laughs> Dad, it's a little creepy is what Caroline said. A little creepy. I'm like, eh, we'll see. We'll see. We'll, we'll wing it. We'll wing it. All right. So let's step back into our 
our story here and where we are in our passage. So let's look at this legion of demons. So Jesus comes on the scene, he crosses the lake, he gets out of the boat, and then we see this man who's possessed by a legion of demons run to Jesus, and what does this this man do, this man possessed by demons do? This, This man falls at the feet of Jesus. The legion of demons begs Jesus not to torment him. Don't torment us, it says. Don't throw us into the abyss. Now, why does the legion of demons say this to Jesus? Recognized his power as the Son of God. He knew, they knew, that Jesus had the ability to do it. So, they say, please don't. Because they knew he could compel them to obey and they could not resist. Now, Luke makes a great show of just how powerful the storm was and just how powerful these demons were, yet Jesus has power over both. This man had superhuman strength. He he broke chains. His guards couldn't contain him. He terrorized and terrified the community. Then, at the word of Jesus, this legion of demons left. This raging man, much like the sea, is left in his right mind in peace. The sea is calm. This man is calm. At the command of Jesus, they left. But Jesus does something very interesting here. He allows this legion of demons to leave this man and go into a herd of pigs. Now, what this does, okay, is it gives the community around this man a physical sign to show a spiritual reality. Okay, how do we know that these demons are gone for real? Well, we know they're gone for real because they went into the pigs. How do we know they're gone for good? The pigs ran into the lake and died. The pigs are dead. Now, I don't want to get too crazy here, but I think we need to see just how terrifying the power of Jesus actually is. Okay? So when when the herdsmen of these pigs saw these events, Scripture tells us that they fled. They took off. They ran. They went back to the town, and others came to see what happened. Now, I want you guys to put yourselves in the position of the townspeople. Imagine you're one of these townspeople. You don't know who Jesus is. You're on the other side of the lake. Maybe you've heard some rumors, but you don't know. And there's this guy who has been terrorizing your community for years. He's crazy. He won't even keep his clothes on. We try to tie him up, and he breaks out. We put him under guard, and he overpowers the guards. No matter what we do, this crazy guy is powerful, and we cannot contain him. You come over the hill, you see where Jesus is by the sea, and this guy is in his right mind and clothed at the feet of Jesus. But something else, Scripture doesn't address, and I don't know why. There's another part of the scene here. There are hundreds, maybe thousands of dead pigs floating in the lake behind this scene. Imagine walking up on that scene 
hundreds or thousands of dead pigs floating in the water, and this crazy guy at the feet of Jesus. Would you not be terrified? That is a scary situation if you don't believe that Jesus is there for your good. That man is sitting there in his right mind. And what's the story tell us? He begged Jesus, let me go with you. I just want to be with you. I want to be in your presence. I want to go where you go. I want to do what you do. I want to follow you. Let me go with you. He saw that that power was for his good. But the city, the townspeople did not. It says they were afraid. They were terrified. And in their terror, what do they do? They say, get out of here, Jesus. They tell the power of Jesus to flee. You see, when you know the power of God is working for your good, you want to be near it. But if you do not believe the power of God is working for your good, then it is terrifying. I want you guys to think back with me to verse 18 that we read earlier. Take care then how you hear. For the one who has more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he thinks he has will be taken away. This fear of the power of God often makes people recoil. When we look at that passage, we see in verse 35 that they were afraid. In verse 37, it says that they were seized with great fear. At this point, the disciples have seen the power of Jesus, and they ask, who is this? And we see who Jesus is revealing himself to be. He is the one who can command the storm. He is the one who can command a legion of demons. And his power on full display is terrifying for those who do not believe. Now, we also see his disciples continue to follow. We see the healed man want to follow. And I fully confess that I might be reaching here. But as I have just run my brain over this all week, I can't help but see that those who have not believed, those who don't have, even what they have is taken away. Jesus came to their side of the lake. And when he revealed himself to them, they asked him to leave. He showed up. They, they, they had and then what? They rejected. They had not. The echoes of Luke 4 are really clear to me in this passage. So I want you guys to think about this. We, we talked about Luke 4 a long time ago. We're in Luke 8, but I still think it was like, you know, Thanksgiving when we were in Luke 4, okay? It's taken some time. All right, so as we've moved through this, think back to Luke 4. Luke 4 is the beginning of Jesus' ministry when he's in Nazareth, the, his hometown, the town that rejected him. And in his hometown, he read from the prophet Isaiah, and it starts in verse 7 
This is Luke 4, starting in verse 7. It says, And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down, and the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Jesus came proclaiming liberty to the captives. This is not what we just saw, right? The demon-possessed man was captive to a legion of demons. And in the end, this man is in his right mind. He is liberated. We get to see the physical representation of the spiritual reality of the ministry of Jesus as we see the physical change in this man as the demons leave him. You see, Jesus' ministry is the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus brought the year of the Lord's favor in his message across the Sea of Galilee. He brought them this message, and they rejected him, so he left. Even what they had was taken away. Now, Jesus leaves this side of the lake. And he goes back across the Sea of Galilee to Galilee itself. And when he arrives, he meets a different crowd. In Luke 8, we move from a crowd of people who want Jesus to leave to a crowd of people who was glad to see him. One group, the Gerasenes, understood the power of Jesus, but they didn't trust him. The other group back, back across the sea, I think maybe they trusted Jesus a little bit, Maybe, but they sure didn't understand his power. They sure didn't understand who he was. And then the disciples are somewhere in between. I think they're growing in both. They're growing in their faith and trust of who Jesus is, and they're growing in their understanding of who his, uh, what his power is. Their experience with Jesus' power has led them to wonder if they really understood who Jesus was, but they still trusted him. They just weren't sure maybe who they were trusting at this point, right? The, the disciples were realizing that Jesus was more than a man, and I don't think the rest of the crowd got that. All right, so we continue moving, and this is where we're going to stop reading the big passage here, and I, I'm going to depend on your knowledge of these stories. So look at uh, Luke chapter 8, verses 40 through 56. All right, this passage tells us that when Jesus and his disciples came back across the sea, that crowds were there, and a man named Jairus came to Jesus and followed a similar pattern to the demon-possessed man. I just think that's interesting. Okay, what did the demon-possessed man do when he showed up to Jesus? Fell at his feet. What do we see Jairus do? He falls at the feet of Jesus and implored him to help. He says, his daughter is dying, and if Jesus doesn't help him, then she will die. Luke describes the scene the same way he did when the demon-possessed man came to Jesus. Both of them are on their knees. Both want mercy. The demons didn't want to be tormented. They didn't want judgment. Jairus wants something else. Jairus wants comfort. He wants 
healing for his daughter. So he comes to Jesus' power because he believes Jesus can help. Do you see the difference? The demons feared Jesus because he has the power for judgment. Jairus looks at that same power and he sees comfort and God's ability to meet his need. One fears judgment, the other sees comfort. Don't lose track of that as we continue, okay? So as the story moves on, they start out for Jairus' house to heal his daughter. And while they're on their way, a woman with a bleeding disorder touches him and is healed. Now, I'm going to take a quick side note here. Okay, step, step away from the sermon. Quick little commercial. Have you guys seen The Chosen, season three? Watch it, okay? It's so good. It's so good. Chosen season three, uh, we get this story. And listen, The Chosen is wild speculation about what happens between the events of the Bible. So the events of the Bible are in there. They're real. They happen. The rest of it's just made up. They don't know. But I love, I love the way they present this story. I think it's got to be close. Something kind of like that happened. I love the way they do that. You get tremendous insights into what this woman would have been going through as she came to the feet of Jesus. So there's my shameless plug. Go watch The Chosen. It's a lot of fun. It's, it's a good story. Uh, I, I totally enjoy it, okay? All right, so back to the sermon. All right, so Jesus is, is walking to Jairus' house when this woman with this bleeding disorder touches Jesus. Now, Scripture doesn't tell us much about her, all right? But most likely, this woman has been ceremonially unclean from this bleeding for 12 years. For 12 years. This is no short time. I haven't even been on staff at Jefferson for 12 years. I only had one kid 12 years ago. Like, 12 years is a long time. Okay, so, so she had been sick this way for 12 years, and as an unclean person, she's separated from those who are closest to her, unable to touch anyone without making them unclean as well. And this woman reaches out and touches Jesus. And then much like we saw in Luke chapter 4, when Jesus cleansed the man with leprosy, instead of Jesus being unclean at her touch, she becomes clean. Jesus has the power to make the unclean clean. And how does Jesus address her? He says, daughter, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. I'm reaching again here. I'm reaching. Full disclosure. But what did we see back in verse 21? Who's Jesus' family? Those who hear and do it. And how does he address her? Daughter. I don't know. That just seems pretty cool to me. Do with it what you want. I'm not ready to die on that hill. I just see it as an awesome connection. So Luke shows us this emphasis on her faith. Your faith has made you well. What do we see? We see a connection between faith and obedience. Those who hear, do it. Family, my family, those are mine, who hear and do it. We see her faith. She's called daughter. And he says to her, your faith has made you well. Go 
in peace. She believed that Jesus had the power. She trusted that that power was for her good. She believed and sought comfort from that healing power. And because of Jesus, this woman gets her life back. She got her life back. She can touch people again. She can go to temple again. She can go to synagogue again. She got her life back. Now listen, Jesus says, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Guess what she gets to do? She actually gets to go in peace. She actually gets, this is not some like, goodbye, go in peace, shalom. You know, like, no, no, no. It's, it's go in peace. She came to him for healing and comfort. He had the power to meet her need. And because she sought him, she gets to, and she found him, she gets to go in peace. She finds peace and comfort in the power of Jesus. Okay, so the story goes on. Well, that delay seems to have been just a little too much for this little girl who's sick. And in this delay, the girl dies. And when Jesus gets the news, what does he say to Jairus? He says, do not fear, only believe, and she will be well. Do not fear. Do not fear. So think about the power of Jesus that's been on display. The disciples were afraid on the boat. The Gerasenes were afraid on the other side of the sea. Jesus says to Jairus, do not fear, only believe. In our need, church, in our need to experience the power of God, when the power of God shows up, we can run from Jesus and fear the worst like the Gerasenes. Or we can run to Jesus and believe like this woman and like Jairus in his need about his daughter. That is what Jesus was telling Jairus. Jesus was telling him, believe in me. Run to me. I know what you need. And I am here to work for your good. Jesus has the power to calm the sea. He has the power to cleanse our uncleanliness. He has the power to give us new life. The disciples ask this question, who then is this that he commands even winds and water and they obey him? And Luke answers the question, Jesus is where you go when your life is a mess. Jesus is where you go when the storms of life are raging at you. That's why he asked them, where is your faith? Because if we believe, if we believe that Jesus is the Messiah and the Son of God, then Jesus shows us that we must also believe that his power displayed is for our good and for our comfort. We do not have to run from his power. As followers of Jesus, we get to run to his power. And like this woman, like this father, and like this man who was cleansed of demons, we get to have peace because of that power.
Throughout this passage, we have seen Jesus compel a storm to be quiet. He has made a legion of demons obey him. He has healed a woman of years of suffering at her touch. And at his word, he literally commanded a girl to raise from the dead. And she did. When you think about how the power of Jesus is revealed in the Gospels, it's pretty awesome. That level of command that Jesus has, that level of authority, that kind of power has been revealed so that we can know our Creator. He wants us to know Him. He has showed himself to us and shows us his power so that we can have peace knowing that that power is working for our good. It's much like that parent that I talked about before. We need that power. That power is working for our good. Do we believe that? Do we trust that? Because there's comfort there. That power and authority is also working for our good so that we can obey with confidence that he has our best interest at heart. Obedience is not always easy. It may come with pain and heartache. But if we trust in the power of God and in his authority, then obedience can always come with peace. If we trust in his power and in his authority, then obedience can always come with peace. This is why Jesus can say this in Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30. He says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Despite his power, despite his authority, Jesus reminds us that he's gentle, and he can have rest. I just want you to think about that idea of rest. How are we able to have rest? Because we know we're safe, and we know we're cared for. And we can know we're safe and know we're cared for because the power of God is at work for our good according to his glory and his plan. Amen? Not according to our, good, our, our standard or our plans, but according to his plan. What an opportunity to be under his power and his authority if we will see it as the gift that it is, it is a place of hope and it is a place of comfort to those who believe. But think back all the way to where we began with the words of Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. He says, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. To the rest of the world, when we talk about 
God this way, it may seem truly terrifying. He has the ability to, to punish, to, to, the demons were afraid he was going to torment them. I don't have to understand all the judgment stuff. Here's what I know. He sent his son to die for me. He, he stepped out of eternity, clothed himself in humanity. It says in John chapter 3 that he did not come to condemn the world, but to save the world. Because the world was what? Condemned already. The world loved darkness, but he has called us out of darkness and into light. John 3.16, right above that, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believed in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. The word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. But because of the power of Jesus Christ, through faith in him, his work and what he accomplished, we are not perishing but have everlasting life. The gospel is not foolishness to us. It is the power of God for salvation. Amen, church? Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would help us to understand who you are. Thank you for revealing yourself to us. Thank you for showing us your power. Lord, I pray that we would trust that power, that we would find comfort there. Lord, I thank you that you love us and you died for us. So, Lord, uh, as we struggle with obedience sometimes, help us to, to know that you are working for our good. Help us to obey with joyful hearts, understanding who you are. Thank you for revealing yourself to us. Help us, Lord, to follow in your ways and make you known because you are good and you have the power to save. It's in your name we pray. Amen. As we sing these uh, two songs of response, this is our time just to, to think, Lord, Lord, how do I need to come to you with my comfort? What do I think is too big to lay at his feet? I hope we've seen today that the answer is nothing. We can lay it at his feet. We can trust that he is working for our good according to his plan and his good purpose. So however God is working in your life, however you need to respond to him, lay it at his feet. If you want to know more about what it is to trust in the saving power of Jesus, then you can come find me or you can grab a believing friend next to you. We would love to tell you more about what it is to follow Jesus. But no matter what, this is our time to respond and to praise him in singing.